I'm Wida Vincent. I'm a hobby woodworker living in uh, Cortez, Colorado. Uh, I work in a barn, and that's where my workshop is. And welcome to Cut the Craft. Have you had any other word from Tactical Mouse? Tactical Mouse. Can't wait to hear about this. <laughs> I had this mouse that was in my kitchen. I accidentally left out like a bone from a chicken wing from the night before on my countertop. Mm. And I woke up the next day, went downstairs, and I was like, why is the bone like in the back corner of my countertop? <laughs> The, the mouse had like picked up the entire bone, which I mean, proportionally is probably heavier than the mouse is and like drug it back to the back corner. And it was like having this little mouse feast with this bone and like, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. But I was like in my living room, uh, texting Brian and I was, I, I had just gone out into the kitchen and saw the mouse we saw each other and it stood it was sat there on my countertop and just like stared me down <laughs> oh but it was this this funny joke between brian and i i was like i just saw the mouse and he's like did you notice it because there was a little laser pointed at your face <laughs> <laughs> i was like yes it's a tactical mouse <laughs> oh anyway. man I had this theory that she's going to one day uncover like its little lair, but it'll be like a tiny mouse gym where it trains and that uh, the chicken wing would be like the little, the uh, bench press station little... and it would be on like a tiny little rack built out of toothpicks or something like that. It'd be so cool. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah anyway, so well, are we ready to get started? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. I'm Amy. And we are here with Wida Vincent. Oh, thank you for having me. Yay. So happy. So Wida, can you walk us through a little bit about what you make and your process? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's kind of an overstatement to say that I, you know, have a process. So um, I just sort of have ideas that come into my head and occasionally I sketch them out. Like for the joined cupboard, uh, I actually did scale drawings for that. But that's the first time I've done anything like that, meaning scale drawings, uh, for about four or five years. Mm -hmm. So I, I make things that are practical for me. Um, I'm sitting on a chair that I made. Uh, that chair was, uh, the, the build was on Instagram and uh, the woodworking community was pretty <laughs> helpful in terms of getting it finished. Um, I'm sitting at a desk that I made in an office full of stuff uh, from other makers, including you, Amy. And, um, you know, uh, and so I make things that that are practical square. I like to say I do square boxy things like, um, uh, you know, something for storage, but it'll be square and boxy or something for me to work at, but it'll be flat and square, <laughs> you know, but, but it'll be useful. And that's sort of, uh, that's, that's what I make stuff that, you know, that, that I feel like I'll be using because I'm, I'm not selling it. Right. So mm -hmm. it's stuff that, that we have to be able to use. So in many ways, it, it almost seems like you might do like a larger variety of different things. Whereas a lot of times we'll talk to people who are making things to sell. So they end up focusing on, you know, I make chairs or I make spoons or I make books or whatever. Whereas mm -hmm. you look at something and you're like, you know, it would be really nice. 
having that square boxy thing in that corner and then you go from there? Is that sort of how it comes about? Well, it's usually a little bit more of a negotiation because when I start to make something, my the first thing that, that my partner says is, where's that going to go? <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, well. Uh, yeah, so there are a few hidden things in the shop that <laughs> where I thought it would be, where I thought making it would be a good idea. And then I'm like, oh, you know, this wasn't such a great idea. So what am I going to do with it? So... <laughs> But generally speaking, like the display shelves that I have in the office here, I, I looked at blank wall space, right? And I said, okay, mm -hmm. I should have some floating shelves there, or I should have this shaker style display shelf there. And um, that's sort of what I did. And I have a nook in the closet, I mean, nook in the office rather, that, that I said, you know, um, I'm going to build a six-boarded chest because I've always wanted to do that. But what am I going to do with the six-boarded chest because I don't need it for blankets or anything? So mm. I said, okay, I'll make that into a file cabinet. And so that's oh, cool. the file cabinet for my office. And then I have this electrical panel in my office. And I said, okay, I have dreamed, no, literally, that's that's not an overstatement, of making these sort of carved <laughs> panels a la, you know, um, uh, a Peter Follinsby. And I, I mean, that whole technique was like totally out of reach for me. I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this, but I just, you know, I was wanted to do it. And um, so I uh, eventually did this um, set of carved panels in a walnut frame that are now sitting over my electrical box in my office. So I don't have to stare at that, you know, anymore. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, um, so you've mentioned a couple of things like, for instance, join, uh, what was it? Join cupboard. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, sort of some of these more technical things. Would you just mind telling us, I mean, I've been admiring your work for a long time and, you know, would you just sort of explain, I guess, what that, that general category of woodworking or like how those objects are assembled? Yeah. Yeah. So, so these are, um, seventh, 17th century carvings and the people who brought the carvings to the United States, my understanding just based on, on what I've read, you know, came from England and, uh, and they, you know, carved, uh, and there's a really, the book is called the artisan of Ipswich. Okay. Okay. And, and, and Write it really, down, everybody. <laughs> and it's and it's just kind of a fun a fun read. Um, um, Peter Follinsby is mentioned in the in the book in the foreword, I believe it is. And um, and it, would you mind telling us who he is? Oh my goodness, uh, I I don't think I can do him justice. Yeah. I mean, he is. <laughs> Tell us you know who he I mean? is to you. <laughs> to, to me, he's he's an inspiration. I mean, he is kind. Um, he is very generous with sharing information and sharing techniques. Um, I think during the lockdown, he's launched um, his or uh, YouTube channel and has put a lot more content on it than was there previously. Um, he has a blog and I mean, he's just, just been amazing. He, he um, put up this book called um, Joiner's Work, I believe it is. I think it's up in my shop. I, I left it up there. That was jo Joiner's Work? A Joiner's Work. It was published through Lost Art Press, I want to say a, a year ago. And I just, uh, I'd just been waiting for this book to be published and, and, uh, the PDF always comes out before the the book does, and uh, for the content from Lost Art, Art Press. And uh, when the 
PDF came out, I just really jumped right into it and really haven't let go. And I, I can't explain really why that is. Um, all I can say is in 2017, I, you know, saw um, an example of Peter's work. I think I was uh, going through maybe Lee Nielsen um, website looking for some videos um, or, and and saw his work on 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 those videos and and I was like oh my god you know I'd love to learn how to do this but it just seems so out of reach I mean I'm in the southwest corner of Colorado and um, with a small regional airport and there's a lot of you know feeling of you can't really get there from here um, I just wasn't sure how I'd ever learn and and this book came out and it was so easy for me to follow uh, mm. that I just started practicing and that's where the medical background comes in uh, and I just started practicing and and without sort of really any investment in what happened to the practice pieces it was just important to do them mm-hmm. and and then I just decided I think I decided early on to try and tackle this cupboard. So, you know, and and so this joined work uses traditional joinery, uh, mortise and tenon joinery, um, uh, for the most part, and do, and some dovetail work. And uh, and so the the piece that I did, and it's very embellished with carvings, um, uh, wild floral designs, some geometric designs, um, but it's it's just it's 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 really stimulating to the hands and really stimulating to the eye. The piece Mm. never looks the same. Like if you can hit it with raking light, it looks different one way than if you walk into a room and it's got glaring light on it. It just looks so different. All of these pieces just look different. And, um, and, and so I don't know, I just haven't been able to really let go of this. I don't, I can't explain it really. I mentioned I, that's where the medical background comes in. I, I don't, I'm not implying you have to go to medical school to do this. I'm, I'm pretty sure Peter's not a doctor. But, but, <laughs> a wood doctor. Uh, he's a wood doctor. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of process thinking um, in, in medicine and there is this idea of apprenticeship, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get a basic skill set in medical school and, and really what they're hoping to do in medical school is give you some basic medical knowledge, but really to teach you how to think, that's really what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and then you, you, you essentially apprentice with a series of people and that apprenticeship is called a residency, and and it, you know, and it's called the practice of medicine because each day and each year you get better, right? You are exposed mm-hmm. to new things, you synthesize knowledge, and so um, so for this, you know, for for this particular opportunity for me to learn carving, that's exactly sort of what happened. Was I just said, okay, I'm going to practice, and because that's what you do in medicine, right? You practice, and mm-hmm. uh, of course, you care about the outcome in medicine, right? I mean, I, <laughs> okay, let me be really clear about that. Oh well, let me be super clear about that. You care about the outcome in medicine. Right. Um, you know, the patient comes in and you go, "Ooh, this should be interesting." <laughs> yeah, you no, you just, that is that is wrong. That you should report it to a state medical board. That's a big fat no. But you passed the test. <laughs> so when working, you can you can practice. I mean, you say, "Okay, there was a mistake on this board, right? I'm going to put that board aside, or I will do something else with it later." Mm-hmm. And um, 
So I had a bunch of practice pieces that were in a pile. In fact, Peter actually told me you should burn them. I'm like, seriously? Do you know how hard it is for me to get this wood? And I live in Colorado. Did I mention I live in Colorado? Like none of this is native here. And, um, you know, he's like, burn your pieces. Um, And uh, so I didn't burn them because I'm a hoarder at heart. And so so they ended up in this proofing box that I just built uh, for my bread baking. So... Oh, that's oh, a good idea. Cool. Yeah. So cool. did you send yeah. him a picture and you're like, see, I didn't listen to you and look how great it turned out. <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't do that. But now that now you've given me a groovy idea. <laughs> yeah, I didn't burn these. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and OK, so we covered a lot of ground in uh, the last few minutes. And so mm-hmm. to summarize briefly. Uh, you, one of your chief inspirations, uh, at least people wise, or one of your chief mentors has been Peter Fonsby, who, who is sort of like a master of this particular type of woodworking that you've been really interested in lately. Yeah, he's absolutely a master of it. I think he told me he's been doing this for like 30 years. Cool. And then you also mentioned the Lost Art Press. The reason I'm asking you about, you know, sort of these, I guess, like household names within the woodworking world is some of our listeners aren't in woodworking at all. Oh, Um, sure. And so if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about the Lost Art Press and what they're about. The Lost Art Press has, I think, has the commitment to sort of bring high quality books uh, to market that maybe, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see in mass production and you certainly wouldn't see on Amazon. And he can bring um, passion projects to to print um, to a woodworking world. And that's what I think their commitment is. The books are very, very high quality. Uh, whenever you order from them, you get the PDF right away so you can start digging into the material if that's what you want to do. Christian Bexvort has a book through them and Nancy Hiller, so many people do. And uh, it's it's a great resource. Then there's also a blog as well. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. You talked a little bit about the critical thinking skills in your profession and the critical thinking skills in woodworking. And were there any other overlaps between those two things? Sounds like there's a lot in common with just sort of like process and being willing to continually learn. Uh, was there anything else you'd like to add to that at all? I trained in one of the surgical subspecialties, and that has helped uh, with the handling of hand tools, right? Mm. So um, I use my sense of touch quite a bit. And I, 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 that that may be one of the reasons why there's just this carving really speaks to me. There's not a whole lot of difference Okay, the, I'm, what I'm about to say is going to come out really, really wrong, but whatever. There's not a whole <laughs> lot of difference between a carving tool and a scalpel, okay? <laughs> but you, you, you don't take a carving tool into the operating room and you right. don't, but you might bring a scalpel into your wood shop, okay? So <laughs> any, anyway, yeah. <laughs> wow. No, no, that's, that's gold. <laughs> <laughs> So there's even tool overlap. Uh, just <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> well, one of the things that I really uh, loved was sort of your use of the word practice, because I know most people associate like, oh, yeah, they have a medical practice, and that's not very uncommon. But within the craft world, a lot of people I talk to refer to it as their practice as well. And so it sort of implies that kind of, you know, the continual learning aspect of it but then also it sort of implies like a very like a personal feeling to it like it's this ongoing thing within yourself 
Mm. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of wording that, but so like a mentality. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I think for me, um, also because I'm a hobbyist, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't have really the pressure to produce something except for my own consumption, right? So mm-hmm. um, I do have a couple of trades um, that are going on right now that um, that I'm way far behind in. <laughs> so <laughs> so that sort of sucks. But um, uh, so I can, you know, if I spend time sort of carving a piece just to practice that carving, or if I, if I do a, a piece that's just devoted to um, mortise and tenon joinery or dovetailing, um, then I don't have to worry that I'm spending time that I could be, you know, earning revenue, if you will, or producing mm-hmm. something to sell. Uh, and I can do that dovetail a day for, you know, 45 days or 50 days or whatever to, to do that practice. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think how much you enjoy it or like whatever you're getting out of woodworking, do you think that would change if it became your career? Or you had to rely on money, like you had to rely on what you're producing to make, you know, money and support yourself? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. And so this is, I'm going to, I'm going to confess something here, which is I have at various points had a a sales career, right? Um, As sort of a side gig. And what I have found is that when you become really, really invested in the outcome is when you are less likely to make a sale. And, you know, I think there is a spiritual aspect to that. I think there is, you know, however you want to put that, you know, um, the law of attraction, however you want to put that out there. Um, I basically found that to be true. So I think that if I were producing uh, in order to sell, uh, you know, I, I would find less joy in it because I think I would be really too um, attached to the outcome. And I don't think you can be attached to the outcome. Um, you know, I, I mentioned um, Dawson Moore's interview and he sort of talked about that a little bit. You know, he had mm-hmm. people who have told him, you know, dude, you're joking. You're, you know, you're high with these prices for a spoon. Are you kidding? And, but yeah, I mean, he just sort of lets that roll off his back and he's not attached to what that person says or does. And he, you know, is able to support his family. So, um, you know, I, I do think that I would be a little too attached um, to the outcome. Also, you know, I, I'm in a, an environment where I have one boss. And to me, when you're producing to sell, every single person you sell to becomes your boss. I only <laughs> want one boss. I don't want a hundred of them. Like, OMG. Seriously? <laughs> no, I think that that is definitely a struggle, especially when from a lot of people that I've we've talked to on and off the air, um, there's definitely that that tension where you're like, dang, like, I'm doing this because I love it and mm-hmm. I thought it would be neat to make a living. You know, I'm, most people I talk to are grateful when they're able to, you know, pull it off and make a living from doing it. But at the same time, then it's like, oh, now I have to be an accountant and be a mm-hmm. salesperson mm-hmm. and like be good at customer relations and dog, right. you know, uh, balance all of these different clients and stuff. And you know, all of that time can sort of start to overshadow your actual like practice. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, I've also had the benefit of just talking to a lot of people um, locally who are uh, woodworkers for a living. And, 
You know, it, it's um, the gentleman I'm closest to has a cabinet and door shop in Durango, which is a town that's about 50 miles from here. And, you know, he, I bought his lathe from him. And the reason I bought his lathe and the reason it was sitting unused in his shop is because he's spending all of his time producing for customers and not doing the things that he thought he would enjoy doing in the shop. So that lathe literally sat there for a decade and I was mm. and had like mm. no rust on it, nothing, not a Zippo zilch. <laughs> and I was like, dude. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I, so I bought it from him. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, it's such a, Trick. It's so tricky too, because you get, I know for me, it's been this just sort of constant weird mind game where I have to be smarter than my psychology, basically, where it's like, you know what? You don't actually like making cutting boards, so you don't have to make them. Like, (laughs) and, and I think Bryant has talked about this before too. It's like, you know, you have to say no to the things you don't want to make if if you're going to well in any any situation really and st- and just like say yes and keep making the things that you want to make because that's the work that's going to show up yeah. you know and if you if you keep kind of i guess pandering to that you know that extra 50 bucks or 60 bucks or something um then that's what's going to keep coming right to you as far as work goes. Right. So you just have to be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be, no, I want to carve turtles into cups. <laughs> right, right. You know, that's my cup you're talking about. I- <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I do. <laughs> I need to get on that. I've been so bad. Uh, I had one other quick woodworking terminology thing that I don't think we've covered on the show. Um, and so we you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, mortise and tenon and also dovetails. Will you just tell us briefly for the non woodworkers, what those two things are or three things, what, what dovetails are. Yes. And, and then also mortise and tenon. Sure. Sure. So, um, both of them are joinery, um, meaning you bring two pieces of wood together the dovetail joint is where you you take one board and you cut what appears to be the 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 tail of a fish or the tail of a bird in 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 a series uh across the end of a board uh you remove the the uh, what we call the waist between those tails uh, or fins, however you want to think about it, uh, and you then do uh, use that board as your template to create a mating piece, uh, and then and that's called your pin board. You remove the wood where the dovetails are going to slide into the pin board. You slide them together, and uh, and the the wood itself is, or the what the, the resulting joint itself rather is self-locking. It will only come apart one way. Cool. Um, you can glue it up, you can pin it up, you, you can do whatever you want to do with it. But they're kind of the standard. Um, and it's interesting because I think it's Mortise and Tenon Magazine, which is another uh, woodworking journal that comes out, I think, once or twice a year. Amy, you've you've had articles in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope you know you've had articles well, in it. I mean, that was such a stupid thing for me to say. Of course you know. <laughs> okay, whatever. That's completely new to me. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
be what if what if we you did just uncover like a crazy identity theft? <laughs> Where she was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> no, okay, sorry to derail. That would but be funny. So just to summarize that, then you are essentially making these geometric wedgie wedge wedgie shaped wedge shaped um like little dowel Almost or like, like fingers uh yeah that are sticking up and they're fitting into like a, a it's almost like a puzzle piece at a right angle so that they just slide right yeah. on if you yeah. if you do an internet search for dovetail joint mm-hmm. you'll know you've yeah. seen them before you've seen them you know dovetail. yeah 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 <laughs> and then and then a mortise antenna joint is um it's another i think uh inter- potentially interlocking joint it's a joint in which you put essentially a long um, uh, maybe a, a, an inch or two, not, you never do one as small as an inch. Well, maybe you would. Um, so let's <laughs> just say a two inch length um, a slot, two inches in, long by like, I don't know, an inch and a half or two inches deep. And sometimes they go all the way through uh, a piece of wood to, to clear the other side. And that becomes what's known as your mortise. And then you would, um, uh, again, uh, make a mating piece that would slide uh, right into that. And that will obviously, you can you know, slide that piece, that mating piece in and out. If you wanted to lock it, you could uh, put in wood at a, a right angle to that to lock that into place. Like a dowel or something. Yeah, like a dowel, uh, uh, something like that. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up for us. Uh, clear as mud. Yeah. I, mean, I just imagine. <laughs> yeah, you did a great I just job. imagine people who who do this professionally going, "Oh my God, what did she say?" <laughs> no. The point is behind these these various methods of joinery um there are tons of ways to to join wood together you know japanese have like all these crazy like super elegant uh joinery methods that it's different all over the world um but one of the interesting things about the joinery that you're talking about and that you reference with like peter follensby and this older um woodworking is that it's mostly held together with like friction and like understanding the materials rather than um, like pocket screws and um, PVA glue and that sort of thing. So, and that's not to say that those things don't have a place, but this is an older form of woodworking where you're relying on the material itself to inform uh, joinery methods and decisions and like, how does it, move with the humidity in your environment and that sort of thing. Right. Um, right. So it's a different type of skill set and learning. And I think, I just think that it's interesting and it's something that green woodworkers especially sort of like plug into. So. And for, and for more information about uh, green woodworking terminologies, uh, please feel free to listen to Tim Manny's episode or Dawson Moore's episode. Thank <laughs> right. <you. laughs> We're right. focusing heavily, heavily on the green woodworkers. I wonder why that is. <laughs> so let's switch gears a little bit. You worked as an OBGYN for over 20 years and you've also invested, no pun intended, a lot of time into personal finance research. Where and when did woodworking come into the equation has it been sort of there all the like i'm so interested because you have your you have your you have so many different hats that you wear and i think that it's 
I think that it's really important for people to understand that craft is something that like anyone can participate in. You don't have to necessarily be making your living, making tables or something in order to call yourself a craftsperson. I think that it's, uh, it's something that's just sort of available to everyone. And so, yeah, I just want to know more about, about your story. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> sure. You know, I had, um, uh, I have an older brother who, um, he was just sort of good at tinkering things around and the house and, and, uh, I liked following him around <laughs> and, um, uh, and so that was sort of, I think when I was a kid, sort of where that interest came from. And then, um, I was in school in Virginia beach and was able to, uh, I was like one of the first groups of girls who were allowed to take woodshop. Mm. And, um, and so I signed up for the woodshop class and there was just one other girl in the class. And, and I, you know, got to use the bandsaw and drill press and, you know, it was loads of fun. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like this. I like this idea that I can make, you know, practical things, mm-hmm. you know, around, around the house. And, you know, I I sort of stuck with that. I mean, when I was in college, I hung out with a few uh, luthiers um, in Nashville, cool. and cool. to the point of, of being annoying, frankly. <laughs> and uh, like, oh yeah, she's back. Oh my god. So, <laughs> but a few, but a few of them actually let me use their shop, and uh, which was great. And so I was able to just kind of keep dabbling in woodworking. And then in, in 96, my partner got me a bandsaw because I had no tools. I had a uh, circular saw, a jigsaw, and a, and a belt sander. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my partner got me a bandsaw. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy. I was like breaking down sheet stock on a bandsaw. I still don't quite know how I did that, but I did. <laughs> and so... But then this first cabinet I put together, you know, came out like a parallelogram. I mean, it was like, you know, it was a square thing, but it wasn't a square thing, right? That's like all my books. <laughs> so, so this, uh, so I had someone over at the house, a realtor who was appraising the house. And the, the realtor happened to be taking classes at the branch. I was living and working in Gallup, New Mexico at the time and have to be taking uh, classes at the UNM branch down there. And uh, she's like, uh, you need, you, 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 you should take a class. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 Wait, so how, how long ago was this? 1996. Okay. So, so you, you know, you were talking, you know, the, the, you know, the mid seventies where I got into a shop and then, um, the eighties where, you know, I, you know, did a home invasion into a, a guy's uh, basement <laughs> shop and he let me do it. And, and then, uh, and then, uh, some luthiers in the, in the 1980s. And then, you know, I, I went to residency in Boston and all I could really do there was, uh, was, you know, watch, uh, uh, the Woodwright shop because, mm-hmm. uh, and occasionally, do, do a couple things, you know, install some wainscoting in my house or something. Mm-hmm. And then I got out of residency and came to uh, New Mexico as for my first job. And, um, and then about four years after I got there, you know, I got the bandsaw and, uh, and, uh, and then got the hot tip that I should take a class. So <laughs> I was like, um, and so, so that I did and, and built some, you know, some decent pieces. I mean, I can take a hint, right. You know, it's like, <laughs> You know, so, um, so, so that, and and I've, I've continued to do it, you know, right. So, yeah. uh, 
Yeah. And so then, uh, then when we bought this property in Southern Colorado, there was a barn on it. The barn was on the ground and the walls were bowing out. And I was like, this is something that I can um, devote some time to and, and find some craftspeople to help fix it, you know, and, um, and that would become my shop. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and I go into that, that area and there's so much that I've built there, you know, and that it's, I I don't know, it's just a place of peace, you know, it really is. But that's, that's sort of, that's the the journey. Mm -hmm. And the personal finance stuff was because when I got out of residency, I was broke with a capital B. So I needed to, (laughs) needed to learn some things. (laughs) I woke up this morning with a bunch of bug bites on my feet and legs. I got a dog a couple weeks ago, so my first thought was, oh hell, fleas. Though she's got the collar and meds and I haven't seen any, so that's out. Yesterday I also got pretty rum drunk sitting on my patio into the dead of night and my second thought was, did that freaking make me taste better to the Skeeters? Which is a thought coming from an old notion of some blood being sweeter than others which I'm only certain isn't valid because I looked it up and found out that that old wives' tale doesn't hold any water. Maybe my feet stank. I don't know. I didn't smell them. But do you know what's odorless? Silica. Know how I know that? I followed my isolated theories down the old rabbit holes because I was a guy in my living room thinking thoughts in the vacuum that is my brain and filling it with Google searches. Since nature abhors a vacuum. I mean... How else was I going to live up to Aristotle's law except by trying to figure out what bugs bit me? So I start digging, and before you know it, I'm in deep researching silica gel. You know, those little packets that say desiccant, throw away, do not eat, in electronics packages, shoe boxes, snack bags, and lots of other containers where keeping moisture out is important. Silica gel is adsorbent, meaning it has microscopic pores and voids which literally hold water on its surface, unlike my theories. There is a water-soluble form of silica in various foods. Its traits credited with strengthening connective tissues and aiding memory. Crystalline silica has a powerful chemical bond akin to how its water-soluble form helps keep our bodies and brains connected. It's mainly quartz the same compound that comprises much of Earth's crust and the main compound of most rocks, sand, and glass? Don't even get me started. I'm gonna leave the glass department to Corey Pemberton, a glass blower, painter, and activist who will fill you in next episode. The way Corey structures space in some paintings will blissfully stretch your eyes to make room for a larger sense of scale and dimension. As a BIPOC activist in the craft world, He helped found and helps orchestrate Crafting the Future, a collective committed to promoting racial and ethnic diversity in the fields of craft, art, and design. As a glassblower, he's a wholehearted dabbler with a multitude of inspirations drawn from textures, textiles, and patterns which work their way onto his glass surfaces much like water adheres to the adsorbent silica gel. Corey shapes glass by working against gravity during the formation process. As you'll hear, Blowing glass in space is a pipe dream of his because of the gravity-free possibilities. But in a spaceship, obviously. Not out in the ever-expanding void vacuum where air can't flow and flames can't breathe. A void much like my brain this morning, 
with its misfiring epiphanies about bug bites when in reality it was definitely chiggers. I should have taken my time with that post-hike shower and scrubbed instead of rushing so I could get to my cherished me time. So remember folks, tuck your pants into your socks when venturing into the wild, or in my case, wear pants and socks, not shorts and flip-flops. And be sure to run your half-baked theories about things by your friends before you get carried away with them. While this was a foggy meandering of flawed logic, Corey will break down glass blowing in a reflective manner you'll be able to see in your mind's eye much more clearly. Outside of, you know, the practical side of like, oh, it would be nice to have shelves on that blank wall or something along like that line. I mean, what really what drives you to make each piece? Can you describe it all like sort of, I don't know, the feeling of satisfaction or frustration that you get when you're at during the process or like what's pushing you to make another thing? The, the thing that's pushing me to make another, some part of it's need, right? But the other part is what am I going to learn in the process, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got plenty of square square flat things that are sitting in the uh, shop that we need, but they, they take no, they just take energy to make, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. they don't do anything for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're almost like psychic vampire pieces. Like they take (laughs) stuff out of you without like really giving you something back. Yes. Yeah. That is exactly right. And so I'm like, oh my God. So, so my biggest contribution to making them is moving them around the shop so I can make something else. (laughs) So, (laughs) So generally you're selecting a project where like in this case, it seems like with these ornately carved surfaces you're incorporating there every every panel is something new to learn even if you've made you know that same component of a joined cupboard a billion times before every time you're carving each piece of wood's going to be a little different each design's going to be a little different is that sort of what you're talking about or what appeals to you about the type of work yeah, it's that each little piece of it is going to be different and it's going to be a little bit of a challenge and it's going to be a, you know, uh, how many times should I go over this piece with a with a gouge to try and round things or do I just need to learn how to rotate that V tool just a little bit to give a bevel uh, to the the edges so that I don't have to go back over them. So, you know, there's there's this joy of efficiency. It's the same way with bread baking, right? I mean, I've gone a little cray cray on the bread baking and, uh, you know, but it's that same darn thing. You know, it's this tactile. It is just when you think you have it, you get this, uh, I promised two loaves of bread to friends and I was trying a new recipe and I just got a little ahead of myself and then the bread got a little ahead of me and they came out flatter than pancakes. And I was like, I hate to give this to you, but I promise. So here it is. And they tasted fine. But I I mean, I'm like, okay, let me go back to the drawing board. And I've got pages and pages and pages and pages of notes. My mother was like, what are you doing? Writing a book? I'm like, no, these are my notes. You know, so that I can I'll learn from each loaf. You know, what, yeah, what's wrong with you? Don't you do this? <laughs> You know, so, so there is, there is for me this, this learning, you know, like to me, you know, I have to be learning uh, with each new, with each thing, right? Because, you know, everything that I touch, I mean, everything that each of you touches, um, 
you is going to require energy. It's going to require thought energy and heart energy. And so you want that to be giving something back to you, right? So like, and, and for me, it has to give something back to me in the form of learning, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, and we talk a little bit in the previous episode um, with, it's a conversation with Curtis Buchanan, the chairmaker, mm-hmm. and yeah. he talks a lot about how with, you know, handcraft in general, it has to be with whatever level you're at, whatever piece you're working on in that moment has to be something that is just challenging enough to where you're like, I gotta, I gotta get through this. I gotta figure it out. But then Mm -hmm. just rewarding enough or just simple enough for you to actually be able to do it. Mm. And so there's like this, that, you know, the risk of failure, but like definitely a, a decent chance of success. But, um, so that when you do get the success, it's that much more satisfying. And so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting hearing you talk about your your journey uh, with these types of joined cupboards because, or or at least with that type of uh, carved, I guess, 17th century inspired woodworking, where you looked at those finished pieces to begin with and were like, whoa, that's like way out of my league, and but but here you are, and I mean, I'm I'm totally captivated by the stuff you make. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. But I guess it's interesting to think about how you were able to connect those dots, though, where it was this thing that seemed totally out of reach to begin with, but then like here you are making it. So what happened in the middle? How did it become approachable to you? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean that's I, oddly enough, um, I've been thinking about that not not because I was going to be on this podcast, but I just really. <laughs> You know, like, it's the weirdest thing. Like, sometimes I'll buy a tool. And I'm like, God, I'd like to know how to use that. And um, and it sits <laughs> in my shop until something clicks, right? And I'm like, oh, I bought this tool five years ago. I think I can use it now. It's right. like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and, and, so, and, so, and so I was asking, so, you know, what, what changed um, for me? And I think um, I learned how to sharpen. Mm. Ooh. it's so underrated it's so yeah. everyone gets like what is it they call there's that uh vampire movie they get like glimmered or whatever by by <laughs> tools and they don't pay attention to sharpening <laughs> i really want to know what vampire movie you're... it's true blood oh, okay there we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay that might be like i, was, a, I thought you're talking about in twilight yeah like yeah, in twilight when the vampires get exposed by the sun they yeah. get like they shimmer or glimmer covered. or something. I can't remember. What <laughs> There's some kind of I don't know. I'm bad at pop culture. Are I you talking about them covered in metal metal dust bits from the sharpening stones? <laughs> That's exactly what's going on. Oh, M G. Okay, sorry, sorry. I totally, totally derailed it there. Go ahead, Weeda. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, I'm middle-aged, so now I don't even remember what we were talking about. <laughs> well, you were uh, talking it was about, about sharpening. Sharpening, yeah. How, right, sharpening, right, right, right. Maintaining so, vampire's tooth sharpness. <laughs> I'm sorry. Never mind. Go back. Sharpening knives. But, yeah, so I, so I think it was I learned how to sharpen. And so I, I'm trying to think about when, when this was. I remember the very first time I sharpened a plain blade. Um 
I think it was, uh, in fact, I, it was when our kitchen was being renovated. So it was back in 2014. And, and I was, was working with a, you know, a, a a blade with a slight curve on it. So, you know, they call that a cambered blade. Mm. And, uh, and I, it took me six hours, six hours to get to a usable edge. I was like, I am toast. I'm the biggest loser on the planet. No. <laughs> and, and so, so then, you know, I focused on, um, on, uh, you know, square straight blades and then, uh, ended up taking a, a class in 2017 where sharpening was a really big component of that class. And I think right about that time I was exposed to um, a Peter Follinsby's work, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready yet. And then I took a class from Tim Manning. Oh my God. <laughs> well, what I mean, you walk out of you walk out of one of his sharpening classes and you think you've got superpowers. I mean, like I, <laughs> I, I mean, that. all of a sudden I was getting wire edges on curved blades. And, and here's the, here's the thing. So I think, so he and Curtis Buchanan have this, I think this philosophy, they, I think they participated in a project together, maybe when Tim was interning for him, but I, I'm not entirely sure that of the timeline where they were doing some work in South America to bring mm -hmm. woodworking to people, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's sort of democratizing woodworking. And I mean, you can go 50 shades of all kinds of cray cray, right? In this, and you can buy, um, because I've, I've done it. I mean, <laughs> you can buy, um, you know, these sharpening stones to the like what, you know, the point. 009 micron, yeah. yada, yada, yada. I mean, these really, really super fine stones, you don't even need them. Mm -hmm. And so, so since I have three ultra fine stones, one is 30,000 grit. And since taking Tim's class, I haven't even used it. I'm thinking about selling them, mm -hmm. but I feel so guilty, you know, that I'm hanging <laughs> on to them because I'm a hoarder, yeah. as I, you know, as I mentioned earlier yeah. in the podcast. But I mean, his sharpening, to, I, I, I mean, it's almost got me speechless because mm -hmm. I walked out of there with a whole new skill set, yeah. whole new skill set. And, uh, and it was that, that opened the world of carving to me yeah. because it's, it's, you know, cause it was, it's, it's technique and common sense without dogma. Mm. And I don't do dogma very well. Mm. I just don't. This is a dogma free podcast. Hopefully that, that's our dogma. <laughs> our dogma is no dogma, <laughs> but dogs are welcome in all of our houses. <laughs> I'm sorry. My, like my corny jokes are just off the charts right now. So I apologize <laughs> to our listeners. <laughs> I'm just sitting here with a smile on my face. So anyway, I, but yeah, so that was the difference. Um, and so when I knew I could sharpen, uh, then I was had the confidence to pick up a tool and work with it. Yeah, because you know that like if you mess something up, you have the skill set to like fix, actually fix the problem. Right. You know, whereas like yeah, I yeah I don't I I think. It's sharpening is something I'm still, I'm not sure I'll ever be super comfortable with sharpening just because I always feel like I'm going to mess it up or I don't have the right something or other. I don't know. I'm not sure what that's about, but I think it's such an important, 
like hugely important step in knowing how to be a skillful woodworker and probably even probably like a chef and stuff. They probably really need to know how to sharpen their knives too. But anyway, mm. yeah, I think, I think it's super important. <laughs> One of the biggest Im- impediments to, for people to get into leather working because you have to thin the edges of the leather and pare those down at like a very slight bevel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to turn the leather over the edges of the boards to the inside. Mm-hmm. And that pairing process, the whatever they're using to tan the leather is just really, really hard on the blades. And so you have to get that sort of like little razor wire edge on the end, uh, on the edge of the blades. And it's, yeah, and people, I mean, most of us are just like sewing paper together. So it's like mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, wait, I have to sh- learn how to sharpen really well. <laughs> <laughs> like razor sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like four little cuts, then you have to already start honing it and stuff like that again. I mean, you have to really stay on it. Otherwise, it then you end up spending another, you know, two hours getting it back to where it was. <laughs> right, right. But that that was the thing that I found so freeing, though, from Tim's class, because um, so, so um I, I'm going to skip around just a little bit, but I was um, was overseas with my family uh, in, in November, and I got to meet um, Helen at the London Furniture School. And uh, and she said, you know, you, you know to resharpen when it just stops being fun. I think that's a good, you know, that's sort of a good measure, if you will. And yeah. the thing I learned through Tim's class is, you know, gosh, there, there's no, you, you have to get the edge so that the edge does what you need it to do. And then, and you can keep going with that or you can get back to work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? And, and, and just, and, and it was just so, you know, I mean, this whole idea of having a limited sharpening kit that you can take anywhere and, and, and do the kind of work that you, you need to do was just so freeing. Um, yeah. That yeah, it was just amazing. Really, really was. I, yeah, I love that as a um, as a just a, a measure of when you need to sharpen. I think that's great. I'm yeah. trying to think in my head right now of how to apply that to other aspects where it's like, oh, like I know I need to take a break from bookbinding when it stops being fun or something. <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I guess that's a different message. <laughs> so, uh, Wida. Um, I know that from looking around on your website, you've spent a lot of time researching personal finance. And I was wondering if you had any advice to offer, you know, someone who's looking to make like a sustainable craft practice um, full time. And uh, I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink. So, like I said, I, I do think that Dawson Moore, whether he attended to or not, uh, ended up giving sort of a master class um, sort of on this topic uh, for for your blog. But what I what I would say, I think there are two things. I think the more income streams you can have coming in, um, the better you are, and a better off you are. And so I would advise anybody to have your income coming from a couple of different sources. Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's direct sales, maybe it's writing, but um, have your uh, your income coming from different, different sources, right? Um, the other thing I, I would 
and that's hard to do when you're doing a startup and and it can be a, to- a totally different industry i mean if you know you can purchase a small rental and and rent out and and have income coming in so so mm-hmm. i you know mm-hmm. But just having multiple streams is, is I think, key. I, I think three is probably, at least three is probably ideal. And, and, and then I always say, you know, if you're in business, don't, don't be a sole proprietor. Um, and, and this is where, I, you know, the, the disclaimer is please consult your tax advisor. But, <laughs> but I would, you know, advise um, looking at entities and, and having all of your income come through those entities uh, come through that entity and uh, and uh, it, that then handles all of the expenses and so forth, so that you can minimize your tax burden and and uh, and still get your business taken care of. So you know there, so so those those are probably the the two things I would advise because I think that's just true for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So does having like the multiple income streams is that sort of like essentially you're just trying to create like a little a diverse ecosystem so that if one thing's kind of dry, the other two can sustain you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and that's, that's exactly the idea. That's exactly the idea. Cool. Um, yeah, I just, I know from poking around on there a bit, I really liked, you know, you mentioned that there were like two pieces of financial advice over all of the books that you've read that seem to stand the test of time. And one of them mm-hmm. was spend less than you make. And mm-hmm. I don't remember the other one. I hope it wasn't important. Uh, no, <laughs> no. <I'm just> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah. So, so let me tell you about that blog. So that blog uh, was a passion of mine. And, um, and then it got hacked. Oh. And so then, uh, and then it got moved and no, all the content on it right now is, is, is still mine, but, um, because it got moved a lot, cause I, every year I used to go and download the federal budget and, and then start crying, you know, I mean, that, that's a whole nother blog. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Oh, wow. And, you know, and, um, and, uh, but so because it got moved, all of the illustrations, uh, and spreadsheets that I had on there are gone, mm. but I just, uh, about a year ago had to pay a company to come in and clean it up and mm. get, uh, it was, a, it was a hacked by someone overseas and to, you know, clean it up. And now I have a, you know, some, you know, anyway, mm. um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, there were there were a couple things. One is spend less than you earn. Um, the other um, the other was multiple streams of income, um, uh-huh. and that's and and another is use you know use use corporate entities to the extent that you can that makes sense for you. And that means like, and, like have an LLC or something. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like spiritual yeah. entities. <laughs> n- n- no, no, maybe, but it, no. <laughs> that's what I was like. Wow. I, I don't. No, I don't judge. So I mean, I. <laughs> no, cool. Thank you for that. That's. I mean, that's. It's super simple, and I think broad enough to where uh, anybody can apply a part, at least a part of that, to whatever they're doing. Like mm-hmm. it seems reasonably universal, regardless of what you're up to. Yeah, that that I would say that that's true. You know, no matter what you're doing, I think those are reasonable statements. Yeah. You know, yeah, and reasonable practices. So I'm gonna switch gears again. Uh, what? What has been your experience of the woodworking community? It sounds like you've had some pretty positive interactions. Is that 
has that been true on the whole for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say 99.999% of my interactions were, were positive. I, I was in a situation a few years ago where it wasn't positive at all. Um, but, but that was a few years ago. And I cannot believe, and even out of that experience, you know, something really wonderful happened. So I, um, I just cannot say enough, you know, positive um, about how generous uh, people have been to me, you know, just email someone uh, or Instagram direct message someone and, and I've never not gotten an answer back to a question, never. Mm. Um, and uh, so it's just been really, really amazing. Oh. Really amazing. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So, good yeah. job, woodworkers. <laughs> Brian and I have been talking about how excited we are to talk to you for like two weeks, two or three weeks. I think it's been just been like, yeah. oh, I'm so excited. So excited to talk to Wida. And I think it part of it is yeah. just because like you, you have such a, it feels to me like, that you have such a different background than a lot of the other people we've been talking to just because you're coming in from a different career, you know, you just like your path into the craft that you're practicing is, has been kind of nonlinear and still very different from, you know, craft professionals. Uh, and that I think it's, so important because I think probably the vast majority of people who are actually listening to the podcast have the same, you know, very similar stories to, to yours where it's like, you know, I dabbled in it. I, I make stuff for my house and it makes me really happy and that's a good enough reason to be doing it. And so I think that's just an important aspect of craft that we're both excited to um, share with everybody so like almost in equal to our our passion for like not dogma within the craft world mm -hmm. would also be like non-pretense and you, we just want anyone to be welcome and to answer mm -hmm. any questions and to be the type of people who make help make the craft world a place where anyone who's interested can get resources and can get involved and like feel accepted and welcomed by and, and supported by the community. Yeah. As Amy said, it's really nice talking to someone who's coming like at it from a slightly different, you know, you're, I think the first person who we've interviewed who isn't like, you know, you identify as like a quote unquote hobbyist. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that should be, I don't even know why it's quote unquote, like it's just, you right. identified as a hobbyist. And so I think that right, that's like right. totally valid, but a lot of times, there's sometimes like a stigma that people feel on either side of that. And mm -hmm. I don't want that to be there. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I think, I think the reason is, you know, you, you know, you, you I think we, we are taught sort of not to put ourselves out there. Right. And, but, but yet, you know, if you've got a social media account and I do, um, uh, then then to a certain extent you are putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my motivation for being on Instagram was to really to learn, uh, mm -hmm. to learn, you know, sort of from other people. And I, you know, I, I recognize that my skill level isn't what the skill level is of many, 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 <laughs> of many, many people. 
so many of the people I follow on Instagram. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm making things that bring me joy. And um, mm-hmm. for the pieces I bring that I'm allowed to bring into the house, for the most part, <laughs> bring my family joy as, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and for me, you know, I'm in a position where that's ultimately my test, right? And um, is, does it make me happy? Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but there is sort of this two-edged sword, because uh, it is a lot, I do post on social media, and it's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's going to be the reaction to this or that. So, um, so I'm, I'm once again, glad it's, that it's been as supportive as it's been. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, yeah. uh, sort of a question piggybacking on off of that. I mean, it sounds like you, uh, I, I feel like I can relate to your willingness to just like put yourself out there in terms of asking for information. Like, it sounds like you've sent a lot of like sort of cold call style emails or, direct messages or things like that to people who, you know, know how to do what you're trying to figure out. And that's definitely, I'm, I come from slightly more of like a self-taught background as well. And so for me, that was like an invaluable thing is, I guess my question on that is, is there like a piece of advice? Some people are really intimidated by that prospect. Mm. So do you ever feel intimidated by that prospect of contacting someone or is it just sort of i mean for me i was always like well i need to know and like can't hurt to ask so boop. but <laughs> so it was kind of like oh a lot of people don't feel they can do that yeah me being one i i'm kind of on the opposite side of that room like i can't talk to that person <laughs> so, okay so i'm gonna relate an amy story I'm going to relate an Amy story, okay, (laughs) that that just profoundly, like, hit me. So um, Amy and I met at Greenwood Fest um, 2018. And will there ever be another one? I don't know. (laughs) My God. That's like Greenwood working summer camp for adults? Yeah. It kind of is. Okay. It kind of is. And I know it's amazing. And so we met there and I was really very intimidated to be there. I felt like a fish out of water. And um, and I made some offhanded comment. I I forget what the heck I said. But Amy looked dead in my face and said you have every right to be here and i was just like anybody else and i was like i can totally picture amy being like you have every right to be here as she's reaching for her hatchet and then is like tell me who's giving you trouble she had a knife in her hand she's like who's giving you trouble (laughs) and you're like it's okay I'm already I'm already packing heat with a scalpel. <laughs> and I know how to use it. So, <laughs> so uh yeah, so so that's the thing, uh, Brian. So I think I take your philosophy. It doesn't hurt to and so I, I find that given that you gave me that piece of advice, Amy, I find it I just find it in Congress that, you know, that you just shared that, you know, oh, I have I'm intimidated sending an email. I'm like Seriously? So, you know, <laughs> girl, take your own advice. I know. Well, so, okay, maybe I've gotten, I think I've gotten better. I think, I think I just, um, I talk myself out of things a lot, but I don't, it just depends on the day, I think, more than anything. <laughs> I'm good at en- encouraging others. I'll say that. 
Well, I imagine if I <laughs> okay. had a mouse, if I had a mouse with the tiny assault rifle hunting me in my own house, I would probably feel intimidated <laughs> from day to day. <laughs> That's the source of all my problems, really. Tactical mouse. And yes, I was able to bring tactical mouse back to the forefront of the conversation. <laughs> welcome, everybody. No, but that that's, um, I guess what I'm wondering or something I'm going to be thinking about are just ways of making that accessibility known, known to more people, I think, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. most people who I've talked to um, or people who've responded to my emails and it sounds like you've had a similar experience are like, oh yeah, of course, like I'd love to answer that for you. Like, let me take an hour to sit down and write you a really thoughtful email or like, let's find a time to talk on the phone or something. And then it's just like, oh my God, I've been, I've been reading articles and like, you know, looking at the work of this person for years. I never thought that it would be this easy because you almost (laughs) see them as like little, like craft celebrities who have like agents or something you have to go through to like get in touch with them. And it's like some other person in their basement too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, or, or you have to have people to talk to their people i, I think yeah. i know what you mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this is kind of an interesting question i think before we probably start to wrap up a little bit but who is someone inside of craft at, that you admire and maybe outside of craft uh okay. that has been influential for you so so remember my my primary craft if you will is uh uh, is is medicine and I there are so many women um, that I know in this field who are running hospitals mm. and who've done work overseas to name them here I don't think would make much difference to <laughs> people who are going to be listening to the pot they're just not going to be known mm-hmm. um, right. but for, for people in the woodworking community um, I, I've mentioned Tim Manny uh, I've I've mentioned, uh, I hopefully more than mentioned, uh, Peter Follinsby, mm-hmm. um, Curtis Buchanan, mm-hmm. um, it's just a, an open, generous person. <laughs> yeah, it was the craziest thing when I was at Greenwood Fest. Um, <laughs> did I say something wrong? <laughs> no, it's no? every single person we've talked to is like, we love Curtis. <laughs> I know, right? So... He's like the nexus. Yeah. 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 So when I was at Greenwood Fest, I ended up sitting at a dining room table uh, across from from him. I I really had no place else to sit. And and when you're at Greenwood Fest, it's all like this family style stuff in the table Mm -hmm. that I had been sitting at where I was just kind of getting to know people um, had filled up. And, um, and so then there was this other table and, and it was, and Curtis Buchanan and, and uh, was sitting there along with many people that he has known and worked with over the years. So I was like the fish out of water. And the next thing I know, the man is pouring me a glass of Beaujolais and Beaujolais and would you like some? And I'm like, hell to the yes. And, you know, it was like, it was so sweet and just made me feel totally at home, yeah. you know, Yeah, you know, so, um, and then Meg, <laughs> Megan Fitzpatrick, oh my goodness, you know, always, uh, always answers questions and just, just has the heart of a teacher. And, uh, she just posted, uh, just this, she's been posting this in-depth series on a certain kind of joinery dovetails, uh, uh, on Instagram. And she's just, totally amazing. And then Nancy Hiller, like, Mm, is just mm -hmm. funny and supportive and, 
Janet Switzer has been incredibly supportive. So these are people who um, have made me, uh, helped to make me feel very at home in the craft and very welcome. And, um, and people I've been able to learn from. So, you know, it's been really great. Yeah. Like they strike the perfect balance between like, yeah, like teacher mentor, but then also they do incredible work too. So it's just like a BOGO. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so outside of woodworking and finances and your, your medical um, career, what, what else are you interested in? You mentioned bread. Is that, is that the new thing? <laughs> Um, it, it certainly seems like it could be the new thing. I, I, I'm interested in gardening, although my gardens look like caca right now, I just, but I, you know, I, I, I love, I love to garden. Um, uh, it had been so hot and so dry here that they just not looked good. And I'm in the process of rehabbing both of the ones I have. Mm. Mm-hmm. both gardens that I have. And, um, and so, but I love gardening because once again, it's part of that creative process as is bread baking. So um, it's part of that creative processing process and um, something, you know, that I can learn from and, um, and, and always want to improve upon. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, those are two things um, the bread baking is really recent. I only started breaking, baking sourdough bread uh, in, in, at the end of April. Mm. Um, but but someone recommended a book to me two years ago, <laughs> and I bought the book two years ago. And I was like, oh, maybe I should open that book. Yeah, I can't. What is this artisan bread baking? Because I can't find yeast anywhere. So maybe I should open this book. Yeah, and and uh, that's how that sort of came to be. Oh, cool. I'm uh I'm a bit of an amateur bread person myself, but I'm not near on on your level. I like just kind of find the one thing that works and then that satisfies me for like three years. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll like learn how to make biscuits now or whatever. (laughs) But I love that. I love that you're able to combine the two of those, for example, with those uh, panels that you didn't burn later becoming your proofing box. Uh, I think. Right. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So I note to self to send Peter pictures of the proofing box. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, if you're listening, get ready. (laughs) So this is a a new question. We do have a couple like kind of like stock questions that we ask everyone. And and I think Brian is interested in in, um, whether or not people sign their work. Do you sign your work? Oh, no. Um, No, I don't. because uh, you know I'm the only person who's going to get it for the most part, and I know who I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Brian, do you sign your work? I don't. I don't sign mine. People have asked me to, and oh no, I do sign bowls, but not spoons. There's like not enough room on a spoon. <laughs> Yeah, but those quilt patterns, I think, are like Amy's signature. Well, yeah, <laughs> probably so. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't mean it in that way, but it's like, those things are awesome. And you look at them, and you're like, Amy made that. And guess what? <laughs> it's super cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do, I have, I have a little metal stamp that I, luckily, it's a hard enough steel to where when I'm stamping my finishing tools, I will stamp those are the little like brass tools that I have been making. And so I sign those with that 
because when I look at a lot of historic ones, all of those makers were signing theirs as well. And so I just think like, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of neat to be part of that heritage, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And then the, on the other side with the books, up until relatively recently, I mean, the last century or so, or maybe a little more, people didn't really, a lot of bookbinders, most bookbinders, I feel like were anonymous. I guess there were a lot of binders tickets, but which were like little uh, pasted kind of stamp sized, sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller, just like little logos or like, you know, such and such and sons and uh, book, book binders, et cetera. And mm -hmm. so you do have those going back into like, you know, previous centuries, but for the most part, binders weren't signing the physical binding. You could soak off those little mm -hmm. labels and there would just be, it would be almost totally anonymous unless you really research like, you know, defects in the tools that they were using to decorate it. And you can slowly piece mm -hmm. together that lineage. All of that to say, I do, but I do it where I just stamp my little last name thing on the very back mm -hmm. of the board and I don't do it in gold or anything like that. It's kind of like you can really only see it through raking light mm -hmm. um, because so it's kind of like a middle ground between signing your work, but also hearkening to that uh, anonymity. I always mispronounce that word. So anyway, <laughs> that was way too long of an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of not doing it because I don't like the sort of like ego or branding that is associated with it. But at the same time, when you're trying to make a living doing this, it's helpful to have something that sort of like maybe will help get the word out there that I exist. <laughs> so well, Yeah. I mean, to me, if you're making a living at it, it makes absolute sense to sign your work. You know, I just, you know, uh, I just, you know, I, yeah, I just, I just don't because it's, it's all here, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah, you know, so. Well, I'm looking forward to getting more answers to those as we go. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to, because pretty much everyone has a reason why too. It's like, oh no, you know, I don't because of this, or I do because of, you know, this other reason. And I'm sure that'll really be a wide variety of answers for, for why or why not someone would do that. And if okay. you're really unlucky, you'll get a two minute long rant about it. <laughs> Tell us again, Brian. <laughs> no. Oh, wow, everybody. <laughs> so, Wida, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? Uh, on Instagram. Uh, and it's creatively uh, Wida Vincent. Uh, <laughs> it's my Instagram handle. Nothing complicated okay. there. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Great. Fair enough. But no, and and Wida, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been uh it totally exceeded my already very high expectations for the conversation. I was yeah. I'm so excited to finally like kind of meet you because I've been such a huge fan. Yeah. And like your per you're like <laughs> your vibrant personality just uh like comes out through your work. Mm -hmm. And then now I know through your words as well. So it's awesome. I'm so excited to have finally gotten. Sorry, I'm kind of like your biggest fan right now. So I, I, I want to thank you both for having me on the podcast. And and Brian, I found out I met you through Martin Ryan. Um, he was like, oh, you've got to follow this guy. I was like, okay. So I was like, and that's how no I way. found you on Instagram. So oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, uh, nice so, guy. No, I'm just so excited. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, so. I, I, I did get to meet him in person at the 
most frustrating craft show experience that I won't go into any further that I had, but it was great. Meeting Martin was the highlight of that. But anyway, okay, cool. Well, Wida, thank you so much for joining us today. It was uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you did. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It It was great to get a chance to speak with you both and to share my experiences in the craft. Yay! Yay! Thank you. So next up, we have an interview with Corey Pemberton, glassblower and co-founder of Crafting the Future. And to get a glimpse into the molten lava hot world of glassblowing, here's a clip from that interview. I was, you know, still figuring out what I was going to major in, and I stumbled into the craft department in the, in the which was in a totally different building um, than we were in. But I. Uh, I saw somebody blowing glass one day and thought, oh my God, I have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Umbo, take it away. Please feel free to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review us because it really helps with the show's visibility. Yes, and thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to rate the show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As I always say, it's very important to help people find it, so uh, much appreciated to those of you who've helped us out. Mm -hmm. Also, thanks everyone who has contributed to our Patreon account. Literally every dollar (laughs) helps us bring you (laughs) meaningful and entertaining interviews and enables us to build a community that supports folks trying to get into handcraft. Yeah, and thanks to our new patrons, Riley and Timothy. Ooh, and bum-ba-da-bum, t-shirts have been ordered. (laughs) Thank you so much for your patience, everyone. Uh, Once they are all screen printed for us, we will get them shipped out to you pronto. I'm so excited for that. They're going to be so cool. I know. Yeah. So you can follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast to see images of our guests' work and stay up to date on happenings and releases. And you can find us both on Instagram at Amy underscore Umble and at BH Beidler. If you have any questions, interview requests, or other crafts you would like to see represented, please email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we are forever grateful to those who help make this podcast possible. Thank you to Brad Vetter for your graphic design. Thank you, High Divers, for letting us use your tunes, our resident poet, Justin Williams, for your commercial wizardry, and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for your help and advice with the technical side of things. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Thank you so much. See you next time.